Sam and his wife Elaine keep an active ministry, scheduling uh, themselves into churches. Uh, now he's not with us so much, so he can actually attend some other ones. Uh, but, but we hope and pray that we will see Sam and Elaine back here. They have three grown sons and three grandchildren, and they reside in Mannheim, which is not necessarily known for their basketball, but maybe another sport. Uh, so please welcome Sam as he has a charge for our congregation. Thanks, Steve. Well, God bless you all for enduring that long introduction. <laughs> Elaine and I are delighted to be a part of this day with you, to look back on what God has done, and to celebrate uh, God's faithfulness as we've been singing in worship. By the way, we love to sing with you guys. This is a singing church, which is a sign of good health spiritually. So it's, it's been a, a wonderful season for us to enjoy with you, and we're excited about what God has for you in the future. So it's my task to give a charge to the congregation. That's kind of like a Dutch uncle pulling you off to the side and giving you some, giving you some encouragement and some instruction. This is going to be short, but uh, I trust that uh, I can stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance just reminding you of some things that we already said back in the fall. You know, jokes about the relationship between a congregation and its pastors are the stuff of legend, and uh, probably because we often joke about things that cause us pain at times. There's a little boy who uh, came up to his pastor one Sunday morning and offered to give him the contents of his piggy bank. The pastor said, son, that's very kind, but wh why a gift like this. He, he said, my dad said, you're the poorest preacher he's ever heard. <laughs> or the one about the pastor invited to the family's home for dinner, and uh, while the pastor was waiting, mom and dad were off preparing the, the lunch. He was talking to one of the children, and said, what do you think we're having for dinner? And the little boy said, goat. And he said, really? Why? Why do you say that? He said, oh, I, I overheard mom and dad this morning. Dad said to mom, well, today's as good a day as any to have the old goat for lunch. So, <laughs> you know, these, uh, these jokes and this humor uh, at times belies an uneasiness that exists between congregations and their pastors. And uh, as we pointed out back in the fall, that uh, is a problem that has its root in a couple of different uh, influences. You remember this image that I showed you back in the fall? A sermon entitled, The Legend of the Super Pastor, right? Well, this is the problem that congregations need to be aware of, and I think it's, it's got its root in a couple of different influences, as I said. Unhelpful assumptions about a pastor and unhealthy expectations for a pastor. Now, I'm not laying the problem at the foot of the church completely. The church has cooperated in this, but also those uh, theological cemeteries that Steve was talking about <laughs> in their training of ministers. Uh, something has developed in people's minds. It's very unfortunate, but here's, here's what it is that somehow pastors are different than other 
brothers and sisters, other believers, that they somehow are above the fray of the normal struggles with sin and discouragement and, and, and problems that we all face, and that uh, in some sense they're, uh, they're, they're kind of bulletproof. You know, they can leap tall buildings in a single bound and these kinds of expectations. The, the, the church has often set these upon pastors. And uh, there's a sense in which we all want a leader like that. We want someone who is not prone to the typical kinds of discouragements that uh, normal people are, right? Seminaries have played their part in uh, not addressing the spiritual formation of pastors so that by default, some men leave seminary with sort of this expectation that I am bulletproof, that I, it's okay that I've got this sin struggle or that sin struggle because I'm the pastor, everything's going to work out fine. Paul David Tripp in his work, The uh, Dangerous Calling, talking about pastoral ministry, has this quote, and if I could just read part of this to you. He says, the biggest unrealistic expectation is that many churches don't expect their pastor to struggle with sin. They don't expect him to get discouraged in the middle of the war for the gospel. They don't expect him to be tempted toward bitterness or envy. They expect him to be a model husband and father. They don't expect him to be lazy or to settle for mediocrity. They don't expect that in moments of self-protection he will be tempted to be antisocial and controlling. They expect that he will be able to joyfully carry an unrealistic job description that would overwhelm anyone this side of Jesus' return. They expect that he will be content with significantly less pay than most people with his level of education. They expect that his wife is so fully committed to ministry herself that his coming to the church is actually a two-for-one deal. They don't expect that in a meeting or in the pulpit, fear of man will keep him from doing or saying the things that God calls him to do or say. And then this statement, they don't expect to hire a flawed man who is still desperately in need of the very grace that he is called to offer and exegete for others. And there, brothers and sisters, is the heart of this unrealistic expectation that a pastor, as a human, could somehow still not be in need of the same grace of the gospel that he offers and encourages others with. So the solution, as I reminded you back in the fall, is pastors and people, now clearly there's a, there's a leader, pastors are called to lead, they're called, 1 Timothy 3, to set the example, Pastor Paul will be talking about that I'm sure here in a few minutes, and yet, we must never forget that a pastor is, is only a human, a human that is attempting along with you to follow Jesus faithfully, but still a human in need of the grace of gospel community. So let me read just quickly this text from Hebrews 3, Hebrews 3, verses 12 and following. Be careful then, the writer says, dear brothers and sisters. Make sure that your own hearts are not evil and unbelieving, turning you away from the living God. You must warn each other every day while it is still today, or while there's still opportunity, so that none of you will be deceived by sin and hardened against God. 
For if we are faithful to the end, trusting God as firmly as when we first believed, we will share in all that belongs to Christ. Remember what it says, today when you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts as Israel did when they rebelled. That beautiful picture of believers, brothers and sisters in Christ, so involved in one another's lives, speaking into one another's lives in such a real and intimate way that it actually carries this, this, this title of warning one another, warning one another. We are all prone to wonder, as the old hymn says, prone to leave the God we love. The remaining effects of sin, even in the redeemed heart, makes that a necessity that we would be a community of people who understand our own need for the gospel and understand my brother's need for the gospel, my sister's need for the gospel, and the elders who lead us and the senior elder who leads the elders they have need of the gospel also. And so we adjust our expectations, we adjust our assumptions to recognize that. And this is the principle, this is my charge for you to remember that super pastors, and I know Steve's going to be a super pastor, but super pastors and their families, they need the ministry of authentic gospel community just like any other believer needs that. These are the same encouragements I gave you back in the fall, but let me just remind you again. Here's some practical ways that you can extend to Steve and Pam and their family the same grace that they will be extending to you in the gospel. Invite them into your home and get to know them. You know, you folks are still on a, on a journey you're celebrating what God has done over this past year, but there's, there's still some healing that needs to take place in your congregation. That just goes without saying, right? Because humans live here. Steve and Pam have been on a journey that has led them to this place. They've had some rough experiences in their past, and there's still healing that needs to happen here. And so, I, actually, I think it's a beautiful marriage that's coming about here just in God's perfect timing that you all can get to know one another and continue this journey of healing together. Encourage Steve and Pam to be part of a small group that they don't lead. Now, maybe small groups is not your structure, but some avenue in which they can be ministered to by godly men and women handing out the gospel to others. Instead of being the person always giving, they have the opportunity to be blessed to receive. Now this, I don't know if this is a rule here or not, okay? But in some churches, it's verboten that the pastor would have friends within the congregation. And there's some understandable concerns about that. You don't want someone so close to others that he's neglecting people in the congregation or certain age groups or whatever. But pastors are not bulletproof, and pastors need close friends, close friends they can confide in, close friends they can pray with when they're discouraged, and obviously pastors need to exercise wisdom in the way they engage in those friendships, but encourage them to have those friends amongst your congregation. And this is the final admonition. If you see something, 
say something. Now, we're used to hearing that here in the United States uh, in terms of, uh, you know, threats to our national security. But what about threats to the unity and the blessing and the goodness of what God is doing here at Bethany Grace Fellowship? If you see something, as God's child, you need to be courageous enough to say something and not just to each other about your leaders, and I'm talking about Steve, but I'm also talking about all of your leaders here, not just saying something about them, but loving them enough to say something to them, to bring a loving concern that they would prayerfully receive, hopefully in a godly, Christ-honoring way. You know, the gospel frees us. It frees us to speak truth in love to one another, that we no longer have to be driven by fear or always have to be thinking about what will the other person think of me. No, because we're secure in Christ. We're complete in Him. Our identity is found in Christ, not in the way other people respond to us. And so people from all diverse backgrounds, this beautiful family of the church coming together, loving each other enough to be, to be truthful with one another to speak into one another's lives. And by God's grace, I've seen you modeling that here this past year. It's a, it's a phenomenal thing that God has done. And I'll, uh, I'll just offer this one very uh, direct observation. Our first Sunday here, of over a year ago now, uh, you could feel a little tension in the room, right? You could feel it. Like, I, I'm not from here. I don't know anybody. You can feel it. As we've continued with you over this past year, you can feel that dissipating <laughs> and the unity growing and the excitement about what God is doing. Now, that didn't happen by accident. That happened by people having some difficult conversations, being honest with each other, and seeing God do this work through His Holy Spirit of uniting you together for the great work that He has for you to do. He has done great things. And he's got great things yet to do through Bethany Grace Fellowship. Let me pray for you. Thank you, Father, for your faithfulness that we celebrate today. Thank you for these brothers and sisters that you have called together out of this dying world to be a testimony, to be a light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Thank you for the story of transformed lives that are present in this room right here this morning. And thank you for the work of transformation you're continuing to do. And so, Father, this morning I pray for each of my brothers and sisters here at Bethany Grace that you would encourage them to keep growing in Christ individually and corporately so that the world around and they within would see evidence day in and day out of the power of your Holy Spirit and the power of the gospel at work among them. This we pray with thanksgiving in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Sam. As they do a switch of mics, uh, I'll take a moment to introduce Paul and Leslie Auckland. Uh, she stood earlier. Uh, they have been married for 44 years. Um, they have three daughters, and I learned something in um, in reading Paul's biography here that he provided, that they have seven grandchildren. And that's not what I learned. What I learned was, as Paul says, 
grandchildren are the reward you get for not killing your kids. <laughs> so for all of you who had trouble getting them in the car and you wanted to just leave them out in the parking lot, there's a benefit that comes down the road. Paul's ministry was at Faith Baptist Church in Sellersville where he was for 38 years, 28 years as a lead pastor. He currently is serving uh, in a, it seems like a pulpit supply ministry where he goes and he serves as an interim pastor and he's just finishing up his time at the second church that he's done that in. And we, above all churches, know the importance of that. Currently, he also serves as a chaplain um, at Success Neuro Rehab Center, where he works with people that have traumatic brain injury. Interestingly enough, when he was a youth pastor, he had two young people in his youth group, Steve and Pam. Aww. Isn't that... That means he's got great stories about Steve. And he probably thought Pam was a saint. He also coached Steve in basketball when uh, Steve was a student at Faith Christian Academy. Uh, he's a graduate of Tennessee Temple University, um, which is, he went to school with Elaine Harbin. This is uh, lots of intersections here. Uh, he also has a Master of Divinity from Calvary Baptist Theological Seminary, where he went to school with Sam Harbin. You're seeing the connections. We're so, we're so grateful to have Paul here to give a charge to Steve. And it's really important, and, and we get to witness this, because Steve is someone that Paul has seen grow up in ministry. So thank you for being here, Paul. I am so uh, delighted to be here. Uh, I could tell you stories and take a lot of time with you today. But uh, some of those stories we've committed to uh, secrecy, <laughs> and uh, we'll never tell you some. Uh, I was not only a youth pastor, at that time I was also the athletic director of the school. And so Pam was a cheerleader, <laughs> and Steve was a basketball player. And uh, Pam was, at that time, Steve's greatest cheerleader. And she still is. Uh, we've watched them for many, many years. And uh, I cannot tell you how delighted that I am uh, to be here today and to be a part of uh, this. I don't know about the tension that existed, Sam. Uh, I serve with an organization called Interim Pastoral Ministries. And I'm just completing our second uh, interim pastorate at a church and in two weeks they're having the installation service for the new pastor of that church uh, when I came to the church the pastor and youth pastor had not spoken to each other for three years so I can share I don't know what the tension was here but I know that what Satan's desire is to divide a pastor from people his strategy is, uh, is offenses, and what he ultimately wants to produce is division. And he works hard at that, and he's good at it. 
Sometimes the fault lies with the people of the church. In the church I went into, it lay at the pastor's feet, really. Did not speak to his assistant for three years. How can that be? That two men of God on the same staff did not even talk to each other. But the sad truth is that's out there more than far, far more than most of us are aware of. So we too have seen the healing of a church over the last, we've been there 18 months and have watched a church heal. And they're excited to see their new pastor come in and begin a new ministry there. Like the two of you, I grew up at Faith too. I've listened to a lot of your messages online uh, when you were at Grace Life. Uh, I'd go on now and then. Our legacy is deep. When I left Faith in 2017, one of the things I did was sit down and write out a list of all the men who went into ministry out of Faith. And I'll just tell you that number surpassed 75. But what was even more impressive that went under the radar was I started writing, writing down the women that went out of faith who had become pastors' wives or who had become missionary wives. And that list was even more impressive. It's an amazing, amazing thing that God did during those days. We're part of it. Our legacy and our roots run deep together. So I'm thrilled to, to be here and to be able to look at you two and just share some things with you two. I really struggled with this. I don't have a PowerPoint presentation today. This was not an easy challenge to put together. <laughs> For many reasons of which you and I are aware of that others may not be. We talked in your office just a minute ago as we met about the push and the pull. Uh, my brother-in-law shared that concept with me. A push is when somebody like Pam and Steve are deeply entrenched in a ministry that they were and a community that they were entrenched in for years like you were. For God to get you out of that is a very painful process. Just want you to know, Les and I understand that pain. We know that pain. Because for all of us in ministry, the push is hard. But someone that is deeply entrenched in ministry, if it's not hard, there's something wrong. Because it's the ripping to some degree of relationships and it's the ripping apart of things that takes place that makes it so extremely difficult. You've experienced the push. Now, seeing this, you experience the pull. And I find this uh, that's interesting. Uh, God is not a God that we can control <laughs> as much as we would like to. He's a God that controls us. And I just wish sometimes he'd show us a little bit ahead. Just a little bit. Just a month. 
I'd be grateful for a day. But he does not show us the future. He calls us to walk by faith today. And so as you go through all that, you experience this. This is exciting. God has taken you and from a place where you had tremendous impact. You had an effective ministry. And somehow through all that, God had to get you out of there. And there was ripping and tearing and all of that that went with it, and you know that. But now God has placed you, and so there's a new excitement. And I can't help but think of that verse, God's mercies are new and fresh every day. I just wish he'd show us a little bit ahead. (laughs) But he calls us to walk by faith, not by sight. Leadership in the church is a daunting responsibility. I don't think I can say that with enough emphasis. You two know that. I think to be called to be a pastor teacher in a church and to be called as a wife not to be a pastor's wife, but to be the wife of a pastor. This is the church of Jesus Christ. To take that lightly is very serious. This is a daunting task that you're taking on. Even if the church was just one person, to lead one person, let alone lead a community of believers, is a daunting task. And you know that. You are seasoned as a pastor. You are seasoned as a pastor's wife. You're probably not going to hit anything new in the days ahead. But you, when you hit experiences, are going to know because you've been there, you've done that. So nothing as well today that I say is going to be new to you. You've heard that many times. My prayer is that I might just challenge you with a simple concept that's been hit on several times already today, but let me be repetitive today. Because Christianity is relational. It's all relational. Uh, it's, Christianity is relational. I used to think, Sam, as we came out of seminary, it was theological. There is theology. But Christianity itself is relational. It, is, it begins with a relationship with God through the person of Jesus Christ. You all know that. It then extends to our fellow believers because we live in a community that is to be a grace community. And I find this to be very interesting. Probably the thing that connects you as a pastor to people more than anything else is two things, your sin and your pain. And that's also what connects us to the world. And when we try to hide it, We do ourselves a disservice because we lose our effectiveness in trying to hide our sin or hide our hurt. This is a place where we come to be able to deal with our sin and to be able to find relief for our pain. That should be the church, and that should be what the church is all about. 
This is where the communities should come to find healing for their hurt and find forgiveness for their sin. And like Paul, I'm often reminded, if the Apostle Paul stood before us, he would say this, I can out-sin all of you. Just so you know, I am chief of sinners. So I'll tell you this, as you stand here, never forget, you're the biggest sinner in the church. Okay. And if he ever starts going another direction, sit him down and talk to him. I'm a sinner who understands the grace that God has extended to me, and I preach a message of God's forgiveness and God's grace. And then it reaches into the world to evangelize. So the mission of the church really is to glorify God. It takes a church to do that. It is to edify each other, and it is to evangelize the world. It demands relationship at every level. Always remember the relationships here are the most important thing you do. I think as someone who has stood in the pulpit for 40-some years now, I've come to realize that pulpit ministry is important, but it's really not what pastors do. It's only 30 minutes of our time. The majority of what you will do is you will spend time with people. My text today is Ephesians chapter 1. I don't have time. I have my clock ticking in front of me, so I, I know, although it, there we go, about nine minutes left. The passage that I wanted to share today quickly is Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 to 16. It really gives us the structure of a New Testament church. It's a great passage. I'll not take time to read it. I just want to brisk through it. It's a passage where Paul lays out what the church should be structured like. Ephesians is a very valuable book because it's the Apostle Paul teaching. And one of the passages, and this particular passage gets into a focus on a pastor-teacher. And in this, it kind of gives the responsibility of a pastor-teacher. And I'm just going to hit this quickly. It talks about beginning and living a life worthy of your calling. And that's daunting. Because I often think if people knew some of the thoughts that ran through my head, I wouldn't be their pastor. <laughs> if people knew things we struggled with, I don't know that you'd come and sit and listen to us speak. It's daunting. And the challenge to live a life worthy of the calling is like it almost leads you to think you need super pastor, what you talked about. There are characteristics that are listed here, and you know them. Be humble, be gentle, be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort then to keep the unity of the Spirit. So there's, there's as your calling is to develop those characteristics and continue to develop them. To value and work toward unity as a people. I was reminded of Oklahoma years ago, the baseball team of Oklahoma. Forgive me for wandering away from Indiana. Uh, but Oklahoma's baseball team won the national championship of the NCAA. And their motto, they hung a little rope in their dugout. And their motto on the T-shirt underneath their uniform was 18 men pulling on the same rope. And that's 
really what you want to accomplish here. You want all of you pulling on the same rope. And one of the things that you do is try and communicate in a way where we're all pulling on the same rope together. Because if we all pull on the same rope together, we can get a lot more done than people standing the other end pulling the other way. And then it talks about gift focus in this passage. When he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to the people, his people. And that's been touched upon. And that's I want to come back to in just a minute and kind of really make that our challenge. So you need to live the life worthy of your calling. And I don't think any of us here doubt that with you or Pam. But we look forward to how God uses you in this new chapter in the book of your journey. And then he talks about grasp your role and do it. And here he talks about the pastor teachers to equip the saints and talks about the structure of the church, your particular task. You're an equipper. Equip people to do the work of the ministry, which is what church leadership should do. It's not necessarily doing the work of the ministry. It's making sure the work of the ministry gets done. So you're here. He's going to equip you, and shepherding is equipping you to do the work of the ministry. And then there's, in this passage of Scripture, the last few verses end up with measure and evaluate the fruit of it. And in this passage, as you get into it, then we will no longer be infants tossed to and fro. What we do is we measure and evaluate the fruit of your ministry, and that is there should be a maturing faith. And that maturing faith is interesting because Sam hit on this with all of you, but it's speaking the truth in love. And we as pastors need to do that as well. Because if you, what that last point of Sam, if you see something and you do something, you need to, as a pastor, I need to go too. So there's going to be times he needs to approach all of you or, or individually approach you. Because I guarantee you over the years of ministry, I've offended people. And so I should come too. You should come and we should put that gospel into practice and right there get that taken care of. So I always wonder, what's your strategy when you sin? Because I think if you expect Steve and Pam to be sinless, you're going to be greatly disappointed And you can't give that, and don't even try to give that, but what's your plan when you do sin? And that is the gospel. So here's my challenge to you, Steve, particularly as Pastor Pam. I don't look at you as a pastor's wife. My my wife hates that title. So I've learned you are you happen to be the wife of someone who is a pastor. That's a tough job too. Steve, know who you are. The experiences that you've gone through in the past couple years were God-ordained. They were useful. You learned more about yourself than you did anyone else. Because it caused you, my guess is it did me, it caused you to be introspective. Plus, there's a book out there called Extreme Ownership. And if you ever read the book Extreme Ownership, it's one of the best books I've ever read. If it happens on my watch, it's my fault. I take responsibility for it. Know who you are. And I want to ask you this, because I think there's three questions that are absolutely vital for you to answer. And they go like this. Steve, what are your God-assigned gifts and abilities? Or your strengths, you might call it. Now, I know what you think they are. 
but most of us here today are blind to our own blindness. The view we have of ourselves is probably a bit skewed, flawed, and unrealistic. So when you get past all of that and you narrow it down, and when you stand and look in the mirror in the morning, what are your gifts and what are your abilities? Because they're God assigned. But I think the second vital question for you to ask is this What are your God assigned weaknesses and needs? Because I think they're God assigned. Not only does he assign us gifts, but he assigns us weakness. What it's probably is maybe more important to know what your weaknesses are than to know what your strengths are. And to be able to own them. Because that leads to the third question, is, which is where body life now comes into play. And that is this. Who has God put around you that can help you? Because God created all of us for body life. He created the pastor for body life. He's not an individual on an island. The two of you are not on an island. So be able to be honest and say on paper, here's my spiritual gifts. Here's my abilities. Here are my God-assigned weaknesses. I, they're just going to be a part of it. But here's who God has placed around me. And together we can get the task done. The last thing I leave with you is not only know who you are, but know who they are. The same three questions. What are their God-assigned gifts? Because the thing that has hit me most in interim pastoral ministries is this. God builds his church through the spiritual gifts. We have underestimated that over time. The reason God builds the church through his spiritual gifts given to us by the Holy Spirit is so at the end of the day, we're so screwed up, we're so messed up, the church would be a disaster, which in many cases it is. But God takes those spiritual gifts given to each of us, given to you, in relationship, he uses the gifts, and through the gifts, he builds the church. So when you say 87% of this church doesn't know what their gifts are, it probably means 87% of this church doesn't know what their, their weaknesses are either, and then you're going to struggle with body life. God builds his church through the gifts. At the end of the day, he will get the glory for what was accomplished because it was Christ in us doing what was necessary to build the church. And he says, I will build your church. You're not here to build the church. That's Christ's job. You're here to be faithful as an individual. Walk worthy of your calling. Know who you are. Know who they are. Put the right people in the right places. And watch what God does. Together. Together. I'll quit with one story. I'm over time. I apologize. At the end of the year, in the basketball season, in Steve's senior year, we had a good basketball team. But Steve, you weren't the best player on the team. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> right, you would freely admit it, right? You, you, Steve would played number three. He was a three. You used to call him forwards, but he was a number three. Played the three position. He played with a kid on the team who was a phenomenal talent, one of the best basketball players probably in the state of Pennsylvania at the time. Came down to a, a tournament. We were playing in Westchester. 
and that really good player fouled out with about six minutes left in the game, and the game was close. So I called timeout, and we huddled up on the sideline, sat that guy down, and looked at you, and said, you got to take us home. And I want to tell you what he did. He took us home. And we won that year the Atlantic Coast Christian Athletic Conference uh, Tournament Championship that Steve Senior year. And I don't know, were you awarded MVP that tournament? No, actually, uh, Mark got The better player was? (laughs) (laughs) Which, by the way, that better player is a pastor in Minnesota, too, so just so you know. Uh, It... As I thought about what you're doing, you served as an assistant for a long time. And you were content with that. For a period of time, you served as a pastor. And that became a teaching time for you. Take this church home. You can do it. And be as big as cheerleader. And I'll tell you, I'm not, my challenge is to you, but... He can take you home. Let's pray. God, we're so thankful just for the opportunity to be here today. Your mercies are new and fresh every day. Great is your faithfulness. This is a new chapter in the book for this church. It's another step in the journey. We're grateful for the stories we've already heard of how You brought people like Sam and Steve here to be a little bit of a help, give a little bit of guidance, kind of pave the way. And now as we come in, we don't sense anything here but the excitement. And I pray that you'd bless Steve and Pam. I pray, God, for a fruitful ministry here at Bethany, that you would use them greatly. And then, God, I pray that you'd use this entire church to continue to impact this community with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Thank you for a chance just to be a part of this. And I just ask you if you would continue to bless this church as they today launch into a new future. And bless Stephen Pam in the position and the role that you have given to them as a part of this church. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Paul and Sam. Um, Yeah, we'll get you out of here soon. But I do have one little thing I'd like to share with the congregation. Uh, Steve uh, was laying out some of the order of service, and when the flow came, it said, Jonathan Meyer comments, and I thought, oh my, <laughs> what am I going to share? Because I'd much rather have a guitar on. But as I thought about this past week, there was something that came to my mind that I'd like to share with the congregation. I started looking back and thinking over the past year, and I thought of Abraham when God came to him and God said, leave your family, leave what's comfortable, and yeah, you don't have to put it up yet, Rodney. I'll get to this in a little bit. But leave your family and go to a place I will show you. And it was future tense. I will show you, but go. And you know, I I had that feeling a, a year ago this time 
We were scared. I'll tell you, I think all the elders. And I know there was a three-week period where I lost 15 pounds. Now, unfortunately, I found them all again. <laughs> but we, we didn't know where we were going. I'll be honest. Fortunately, people like Steve came along beside us. Uh, we added two elder seats. Uh, Craig came on board and then Andy. And, and by the grace of God, by the Holy Spirit's leading, he's led us through. And as I thought about this morning, I thought, you know, today sort of feels like a destination to me. We've been through that, and now we're getting to a destination and now, Rodney, you can put that up. In Hebrews, it says that by faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go to the place which he would receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. But this is the important part. By faith, he dwelt in the land of promise as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. He uh, let that last slide up there, uh, Rodney. He did, not, he did not recognize that the promised land was his destination. He was waiting for something even further out. And what I realized is, this is not a destination. This is just part of the journey. And while we've been sort of in a rough over the mountain, and I hope now we have some time in the valley where we can cruise a little bit, certainly, <laughs> This is just part of the journey, and so I'm excited about where God's going to continue to lead this church, where God's going to continue to bring the people who need to be ministered to and gather the people together to do that ministering. And I'm excited to have you, Steve, brother, here to help lead us. So at this time, I'd invite the elders to come up. Uh, we're going to have a t- uh, just a very short time of prayer for Steve. I invite Steve and, and Pam, too, I believe, if you'd want to. Come on up. I'd also invite uh, any ordained ministers who are here, um, if you'd like to come back up, and Sam and uh, Bob Gerhardt is here, um, and sure, Jeff, come on up. I'd also like to open it up to those who were previous elders here, and I know Tom's in the back room. Um, Tom Martin, Don Long, Cliff Martin, if you would like to, uh, come on up. You were part of the, the history of the church here, too. And I'm just going to, I'll pass the mic around a little bit if just two or three people pray, and then I'll close. Um, let's lay our hands on Steve. Heavenly Father, we, <clears throat> we come to you this morning, and we celebrate your faithfulness. Lord, we are humans on a journey, and we look to your spirit to lead us, and we, we praise you and we thank you for the guidance that you've given us at Bethany. Uh, we thank you for the, the journey and, and the way that you have brought Steve and Pam to us. We look forward to, to many years of your faithfulness and your blessing here at Bethany. Uh, we just thank you for your provisions each day. We just commit Steve and Pam to the ministry here at Bethany, and we ask uh, for your guidance and your continued leading. 
just I just thank you, Father, for helping us to uh, through these hard times to lean on you, that we could see uh, Jesus and we could see uh, what your Holy Spirit our eyes, Lord. Pray, Father, that we would never lose that, that uh, you could glorify your name, that we would lean on you, we could see you, we could know you, and Steve, for that, I just pray that in Jesus' name. God, I just thank you and praise you that you are a personal God and a God who is intentionally building your church. God, I thank you that it's not up to us to lead the way, really, but to just follow you. God, I just praise you for all the ways over this past year that you have shown yourself so real, so evident, so obvious. God, help us to never take our eyes off of you and and off of that leading that you can give us and that you want to give us. Lord, as we enter our next sermon series, I'm excited to dig in and study what it means to be spirit-filled and spirit-led. But right now, I just want to give Steve and Pam into your hands. Use them. I know that's their desire. Just use them in a mighty way here in eastern Lancaster County that we can truly impact our community by being a thriving church that is unified and is loving each other as, as you've taught us. God, thank you so much for being a loving God. We praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.